Well, this morning we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, picking things up in verse 13. So if you want to turn there uh, with me, so we can all have that in front of us. Uh, we have been uh, moving through uh, the book of Hebrews these past uh, weeks and maybe two months or so. Uh, last week we hit a hard passage uh, on one level hard to understand and make sense of in light of the rest of the uh, Bible. Uh, but hard in the sense that it was heavy. It was the author uh, pushing us uh, towards uh, maturity, uh, pushing us from moving from drinking milk, so to speak, spiritual milk, to uh, taking in uh, spiritual food, m- meat, so to speak, and eating food that's, that's proper for uh, maturity and proper for uh, adulthood. And so there's a, a progression, there's, there's a movement uh, to the Christian life. It's not meant to be stagnant, but moving forward and, and, and growing. This morning, I, I think in this passage, it's going to uh, lay a, a foundation uh, to, to grow upon. It's, it's going to give us confidence and security to move forward in the Christian life. And so let me read verses uh, 13 through uh, 20. If you would, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word as you're able. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word remains forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the unchanging character of your word and of your scriptures. We thank you that you are unchanging, that you do not lie, you do not deceive, you are steadfast and movable. We pray as our circumstances change, as our moods change, as our hearts and lives change, that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly. We ask in your son's name, amen. Please be seated. The Wall Street Journal a number of years ago uh, ran an article. Now I know many of us, all of us are reading the Wall Street Journal next to the, the Manning Times, and so maybe you saw this a couple years ago, okay? But in that article, the journal talked about uh, there's a, a special vault outside of Paris, France. And inside this vault, there's contained this um, cylinder device. And it's called Le Grand K. Le Grand K. If you don't know what that is, that just makes you completely normal, okay? This cylinder is made out of platinum, and it's the, um, the, the standard for the kilogram. Everything is calibrated according to that Legrand K. That's the standard. Everything is measured by it. 
Uh, even in the U.S., we don't use the metric system, but it, in, in some way the pound is connected to that. It's, it's that standard. Those scales that you, can, that you see, somehow it's, it's calibrated according to that Lagrange K, according to that. It can be traced back to that. Now, this is more than just trivial information to, to wow your friends and, and family at home. But what's going on there is that scientists are, are concerned because they'll take this thing out every once in a while to, to clean it. They've had it locked up since 1889, okay? In 1989, they took it out to be, to be cleaned, over, cleaned and, and looked at, and they found that it's, it's shrinking. It's getting smaller, okay? Let me tell you how small it's getting. 20 billionths of a gram per year it's losing, which means, in normal language, the weight of a grain of pepper it's losing every 10 years, okay? Now, again, I'm not going to lose sleep over this, and you probably aren't either, but if you're a scientist, technologist, who depends on that, that standard being absolutely firm and secure, there's concern because it's changing. It's not as accurate as we thought it would be. What's it going to mean for uh, the future? Now, think about uh, this in, maybe in relation to our, our spiritual lives and think about what God wants to communicate to us. And to a certain extent, human measurements and humans, human way of doing things, it's going to fall short as accurate as Lagrange K is, it's, it's great, but it's not giving them 100% absolute surety of what that weighs and how it reflects on other things. But think about your spiritual life. Think about your relationship with God. God in no way wants, you to, wants to say to you, you know what? You can be 90% sure that my promises are true. Okay, maybe 99.9%. He doesn't say that. He wants us to be 100% sure of who he is, uh, the goodness and truth of his promises, uh, the richness of his faithfulness to us, for us to be 100% sure of his promises and the reality of, of him and what he's going to do. Remember this and put this in relation to what we talked about uh, last week. We talked about uh, the need to progress in our Christian lives uh, the need to, to be moving forward, to be students of the Word, and at the same time, teachers of the Word. Not teachers in the sense of you're, you're holding court for, for hours on end about some passage in Romans, but you're able just to communicate the faith. You're able to have a conversation, at least, about your faith with other folks, to be students and teachers. And as we do this, there's, a, there's an assurance of faith that comes our way. As we engage in God, as we walk with Him, as we see Him more clearly, it leaves us with uh, an assurance, a, a security, uh, a hope of our salvation. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is building upon this hope, the hope that all of us should have in relation to him. And so three things I want to, to look at uh, from this passage, okay? Uh, a persevering hope, a certain hope, and a believed hope. A persevering, uh, secure, or certain hope, in a believed hope, okay? First, a, a persevering hope. When I say persevering, I think, think about the example that the author is, is pitching at us, is, is reminding us of here. In verse 12, we didn't read it, but in verse 12, right before we started 13, the author is saying, don't be sluggish in your faith, don't be lazy, but he says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been 
promised. Imitate those. It's like he's saying, remember all the, the, the countless uh, believers that have gone before you. you. You are not the only one. You don't live in isolated times, but there have been countless men and women who have struggled with the faith, have been leaning on God, walking with him through hard times and great times, and God has been faithful to them. And then you get to verse uh, 13, he says, when God made a promise to Abraham. And what he's doing is he's saying, let's think about somebody specific. Think about Abraham and his faith. Think about Abraham in his life. Think about how he lived in light of God's hope. Now, Abraham is a man that uh, knew big promises from God. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's going about living his life, and God comes to him out of nowhere, seemingly. He says, I'm going to make your descendants great. I'm going to bless you in ways you don't even have categories for, but you've got to leave. You've got to leave this, this place and your family, the place that you love and grew up in and are accustomed to. You've got to go to Canaan. You've got to go to this place I'm going to show to you. Now, for, for most of us, the idea of leaving home, you know, it's kind of disheartening. It's kind of sad, but it's not that big a deal because people do it all the time. People move and move to different spots, different states, different locations all the time. But think about moving in at this time. There's no state police. There's no government system. There's no cell phones. There's no communication. There's, there's none of that. And so here's Abraham with his family going. But God says, I'm going to bless you richly as you go. But Abraham has to go. He's got to walk by faith. He's got to believe these promises and take action and, and, and move forward. And then you get to Genesis 15. You find Abraham, he's persevering. He's doing great. And he's believing these promises, but at the same time, God, what's the deal? Okay, where is this child? You promised me a child, this, this descendant of mine that's going to be a great blessing to uh, all these, these people. Things are going to go really well. I don't see it yet. And so there's, there's a struggle that he's feeling. He's feeling the weight of it. And God says, okay, step outside. It must have been nighttime. He says, look up into the sky. He says, if you can count all the stars, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. He's confirming the promise. He's encouraging, reassuring him with what's going on. And then you get to Genesis 17. And as you progress in the story of Abraham, it just gets weightier and weightier. There's a sense of more and more urgency as it goes by. You get to Genesis 17, and the text says that Abraham is 99 years old. Okay. Genesis 12, Abraham was 75 years old. So almost 25 years have gone by. 25 years, Abraham and Sarah are walking around with this promise in their head, this picture of what God is going to do, thinking this, believing this, and they're not seeing anything. God hasn't brought it to life for them yet. It's not happening. And if you read the text and you look at those passages, you know, yes, age is kind of different in the Old Testament. People live longer. I get that. But the text is still stressing these, they're getting very old. And it's getting to the point where you say this can happen, but I'm looking in the mirror and I don't see it happening. And it's almost comical as, it, as God reassures them, encourages, yes, you're, you're going to be pregnant soon. They're almost, they're basically just laughing. This is just preposterous. You know, that kind of feel, there's no way this is going to happen. I, I know our bodies, we're, we're barren. It's not going to happen. 
And then you get to Genesis 21. Sarah finally conceives, okay? After 25 plus years, they finally have Isaac. And they love Isaac. They raise Isaac. Life is great. And then you hit the day of Genesis chapter 22. And God pulls him aside. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take that son, the son that you love, the son I've been promising you for so long. I want you to take him to this place. And I want you to make him a sacrifice. 25 years of, of walking with God, believing his promises. And he's seen great success. And now God is asking him to do this. And Abraham does it. Takes the child. He gets Isaac up on the mount in the right spot. And he raises his knife. Just that knife just hanging over Isaac. And God stops him and says, now I see. And he points to a ram there in the thicket. And he says, sacrifice that instead. But then I want you to hear what he says, starting in verse 16 of Genesis 22. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Genesis 12, God makes this bold promise. And you get to Genesis 22, and you see how it's reaffirmed. After 25 years, Abraham waiting, Abraham walking, Abraham looking, and God answers. God is, is faithful. Now, you put that on the, the readers of this original letter, uh, the Hebrews, uh, they're suffering, they're, they're hurting. Life is not going as expected. Many of you are saying, this is not what I signed up for. And we've talked about this before. And to the author, the author says to them, remember Abraham. He knew hard times. He knew suffering. He knew what it was like to walk by faith. Look how it ended for him. And to be encouraged by that, to draw confidence from that. But more than that, I want to take that story of Abraham and plug it back into Hebrews uh, 6 and talk about the certain hope that we have. In verse 14, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. He's quoting from Genesis 22. He's quoting from that time after Abraham uh, initially offered his son as her sacrifice. He's referencing back to that time. And certainly he's highlighting, yes, God is a God of promises and he's a God of, of faithfulness, but he gives more to us as well to assure us. He says that God has made an oath. He's sworn by something. He's promised to do something for us. And you think, okay, why does God need to make an oath? Why does he need to swear that he's going to do something? Why does he need to, to give us that assurance? Verses 17, mostly verse 18. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promises and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. That last phrase there, may be greatly encouraged. God does it because he loves us. He knows our hearts. He knows our lifestyles. He knows that we're, we're prone to, to doubt and to struggle. He knows our weaknesses, and he steps in the gap, so to speak, and he says, not only am I giving you the promises, but I'm going to give you an oath as well. 
I mean, could you imagine God saying to us, get out there and do it. Okay, stop worrying about the future. I've given you promises. I've given you commandments. Go and do it. He doesn't communicate that like that to us. He says, I understand. Let me, I've given you my promises and those are sufficient. Uh, You know that I'm faithful because you can look back and see how I've worked uh, with the patriarchs in the past. But I want you to know and have this deeper assurance, this deeper encouragement for you to give you this deeper, richer hope, this deeper, richer certainty. I'm going to give you an oath as well. Now, verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to the argument. Okay. When you want to stress the value of something, when you want to stress the, the trustworthiness of what you're uh, proposing, what you're promising, or what you're saying you're going to do, you swear by something greater. Sometimes we'll say, I swear on my mother's grave. We're saying, this is so true that I would, you know, if, if it doesn't happen, may my mother be in the grave, okay? We're, we're that confident, we're that sure that it's going to happen. It's why we make this oath and we swear by this. But what happens when God makes an oath? Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I mean, if God is going to make an oath, what's he going to swear by? You know, I swear by the world, uh, the sun, the the stars. Um, I swear by the angels in heaven. Uh, I swear by all my people. He could go on and on, and he says, that's not good enough. He says, I want to show you that that I'm going to pledge myself by the most ultimate thing that's out there. I'm going to pledge by myself. It's like he's saying, if this doesn't happen, let me not be. That's how guaranteed it is. That's how sure it is for us. There's nothing of greater value than himself. And he swears by his own name to strengthen us, to encourage us, to give our deeper, richer hope. Maybe here this what's going this encouragement that God wants to give us like this God saying you need to know that I do not lie you need to know that I am completely trustworthy you need to not lose hope you need to know that I haven't forgotten about you that I'm not marginalizing you that I'm not distracted by something else but I've made my pledge I've I've sworn an oath and I'm going to be faithful with my promises It's like God is saying, I know it's been hard for you lately, but my promises are true. I know you felt like it's really dark and things feel really negative, but you need to know my promises are true. I know you've been going through uh, struggles that you feel like it's never going to end and it feels like this is the new normal, but my promises are still true. My oath still stands. My faithfulness is still real. This passage is, is pointing out to us that God wants us to be deeply encouraged. He doesn't want us at 90%. He doesn't want us at 95 or 99.9, but he wants us to be at 100, to have that kind of confidence in him. Now, there may be people in this room who are struggling, struggling with things that they haven't communicated to a lot of people, and things are feeling really weighty, and you don't know where things are going to be headed. And God says to you, I'm faithful. My promises are true. My promises are right. You can depend upon them. They are there for you. They are guaranteed. He wants you to be strengthened. 
Some of us may be floating in here, and it's been a hard week, and we're in that stage of our lives, we're just living from weekend to weekend to weekend. And you come in here on a morning like this, and you're just looking for some grain of encouragement, some grain of, of truth, some grain that, that God is seeing and, and knowing what's going on. And maybe you've picked something up in the hymns that we've sung this morning, or the prayers that we've mentioned, or something in God's Word, something to remind you of God's faithfulness. Because His faithfulness is new to us every day. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and what is going to happen is the thing that maybe you've been not looking forward to. You finally got it to go through it, but know that God is faithful to you. On Tuesday morning, His faithfulness is still new. On Wednesday, His mercies are still new. On Thursday, on Friday, they are new to us every day. We can be that confident in Him and what He has done for us because He has sworn an oath by Himself. He cannot lie. He cannot deceive not who he is, but he is absolutely trustworthy. Well, the third thing I want us to look at is a hope uh, believed. That's the certainty of the hope before us, but what about a hope believed? How do we see this more real in our lives? In verse 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain this inner sanctuary is this Old Testament reference to the Holy of Holies. And that, that hope has gone into that space and secured for us that kind of forgiveness. And it doesn't take much math to see that that's, he's talking about Christ. Christ is our hope. Christ is our anchor. He's the one that we cling to. In other words, in a relationship with him that's, that's characterized by faith and his life and death for us, he is our anchor. He is our security. He is our confidence. He is our arrest. That picture, that metaphor of anchor, it's, it's rich, okay? It's, it's really helpful for us as we think about living the Christian faith. And so, ask yourself, what makes an anchor good? I'll, many of you have anchors at home, okay? Uh, maybe we should have just, we can all talk about our anchor someday, but think about the, what makes an anchor good? What makes it useful? What makes it valuable to us? Well, two things, and they're, they're so obvious you don't even notice it. On the one hand, an anchor is valuable because it makes us secure. It's, it's attached to us securely. It's, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's bonded to us, so to speak, in that boat. It's, it's there. You could say the anchor is valuable because it's committed to us. It's not going anywhere else. The other thing that makes the anchor valuable is that it's able to go where we can't. The anchor is valuable, it's able to go where we can't. It's able to go to a realm that we can't go to. And when you're in a boat and you throw your anchor just in the water, that does you no good, okay? Because you're in the water. You're, you're moving around with the water, with the water yourself. It, it doesn't help you. But the anchor is valuable because it's able to go deeper. It's able to go to that place that you can't go to. It's able to hit the, the bottom of the lake, it's able to find that mud and those rocks and secure itself there. That's what makes it valuable. It's able to go to a spot that you can't go to. And so the anchor is valuable because it's committed to us, and it's able to go to a spot that we can't go to. And think about just as an anchor protects a ship from the tide or from the, the currents or from the wind or from the waves, 
us being secured to Christ as our anchor, we're protected from those things as well. Now that the wind in our lives could be something like this. It could be those moments when we say to ourselves, God, do you really love me? God, are you really there? Uh, are you really going to answer these prayers? Uh, God, I know that you love me, but why is this happening to me? We all know these waves. We know these currents that come into our lives and push us in certain directions to doubt, or be skeptical, or to, to give in or neglect. And the anchor says, you're not going anywhere because I'm in a place that you can't go to. I'm in that realm and I'm committed to you. I'm attached to you and there's, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm that committed to you. And so we all need this anchor for our souls. All of us have to have this anchor. And here are two reasons why we need that. The one is things change. Life changes. The currents of our lives, the ebb and flow is always different. We don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. It could be great. It could be mundane. It could be really bad news. We don't know what's going to happen next year. Things always change. People always change. Relationships change. Stuff at work changes. Our cars break down. Uh, we have bad health. Uh, all these things can happen. Life changes. But, and so we need an anchor. We need that place of security because life just goes on and it's always changing. Garrison Keillor makes this funny observation. He's, one night apparently he's watching PBS He's watching a documentary about doctors. And these cameras and microphones are following these doctors all around, and Keeler's observing this and watching this. And at one moment uh, during the day, doctor steps out, and he's talking to another doctor, and he says, uh, the patient in 528 died. Uh, the surgery didn't work out. Uh, he passed away. What's going on in, in room 540? And Keeler's like, if I'm in room 548 and I've died, I don't want my doctor saying, you know, just moving on so flippantly. I want him to be crushed. I want him to be full of tears. I want him to take the rest of the day off. I can't go on because the guy in 548 is, has passed away. But the doctors don't respond like that. That's not how life works because life goes on. But at the same time, the reason we need an anchor, we need that kind of security is because we want that kind of security. We want to be attached to somebody where it's unchanging. We want to be attached to somebody that's, that's going to cry when they realize that we've passed away, that they can't go on. We want that kind of security. We want that kind of confidence. We want that kind of relationship. And the reason we want that is because we were created for that. From the foundation of the world, when God created us originally, we were made to be in relationship to him. We were made to know him. We were not made to be totally independent, self-sovereign people, but we were made to live as God's creature because he is the creator. We were meant to be dependent upon him. We were meant to have him be our anchor, so to speak. And what this means for us is we have an anchor who is Christ. We have one that's gone to that realm that we couldn't go to. He went to that cross. He went to that darkness. He went to that place for us to secure for something, something for us that we couldn't do ourselves. Grace and forgiveness in light of God's justice. Now, we've made a, a big deal about Abraham, and I'll close with this. You think about the life of Abraham, 25 years living by those promises, 
that God is going to do. He was given signs. He was given assurances along the way. But for 25 years, he walked with God with this vision that God is going to be faithful. And you think to yourself, how is he able to do that? How is he able to walk by faith like that? The simple answer is, he walked by faith, and he was faithful because he looked at God. He didn't look at gimmicks. He didn't look at tricks. He didn't look at, you know, any kind of things we can put into our life. But he simply looked at God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness. That's what helped him to endure. And it's the same for us. As you think about your life today, as you think about the life of faith and and the life of being confident in the hope that we've been called to, all we do is we look at God. It's why worship can be so powerful for us. You know, when we take in and we realize the words that we're singing, uh, the richness of, of many of the hymns, they point us to a God that's faithful. When we pray these prayers and we realize who we're talking to and what's going on, when we hear his word and we understand the truth that's being communicated to us, it says this is who God is, this is who is there for you. Look at him, trust him, put your eyes on him. Don't look at your circumstances, don't look at the currents moving back and forth. Don't be uh, distracted by the waves going all on around you. But think about God's faithfulness. Think about Christ as your anchor. And when we do that, we're able to weather those storms. We're able to to walk with him uh, through the ups and downs of life. Will you pray with me? Father, we um, need your uh, healing touch. We need eyes to see you clearly. I know that there are folks here uh, struggling we all struggle. We all struggle to uh, apply the faith uh, to our lives, to live as though you really are true and you really do uh, love us. And so we pray that we would be uh, strengthened, that you have sworn yourself to us, that you have given an oath, Father, that you have given us Christ as our anchor, that he is committed to us. We are connected to him. We ask that you would give us the sufficiency and the peace of Christ this day and the days to come. In Christ's name, amen.